decided that we'd go to uh, Isaiah chapter 6, first eight verses as we're looking at this, and talk about how the impact, how God's holiness ought to impact us a little bit. We we talked briefly about it in Sunday school, Uh, but let me preface what we're talking about here. Anybody who knows me or has heard me preach more than twice, and I believe every single one of you has heard me preach more than twice, knows, uh, by the end of today, you'll have heard me twice if you were here last Sunday, so, uh, uh, you know that one of my real frustrations is the weakness of the Christian church in America. I think we could argue that the Christian church in America is pretty weak. I work with global media outreach, and I can see some other Christians in other parts of the world who could really show us up, uh, and they don't have much to work with. So it's not financial resources. It's not the ability of having a copy of God's Word in our hands. Uh, It's not time. There's something else that's wrong. Uh, In years gone by, you also, if you know me at all, you also know that I'm a a bit of a historian. In years gone by, there were strong men of God who would stand firm and they'd be unashamed of the Word of God, no matter what the odds were didn't matter what was going on. And those heroes of the faith could face almost certain torture and death, but not waver a bit. And their stories, when you read them, they're so powerful and so inspiring that when we read them in the 21st century today, they almost read like fiction, don't they? When you read about some of these old heroes of the faith, They read like fiction, except that they're so well documented. We know it's not fiction because there's so many cases to attribute this stuff. So what was so different about these great men of God that are so rare today? What was different? Well, the more I read and the more I study about them, the more convinced I am that they were impacted by a sobering realization of the holiness of God. They realized how holy our God is. But I'm not here to give you a history lesson this morning. I'm not going to give you a history lesson, so rest assured, you're not going to get a history lesson here today. Uh, But let's look at an example from the Bible of one man who was himself struck by the holiness of God, and it so impacted him that it changed his life forever. And that man was the prophet Isaiah, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. I'll read it, we'll have a word of prayer, then we'll get looking at it. And it goes like this. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim toward unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Lord, you are a holy God, and there is none like you. You are the Lord of the hosts of heaven. You're the maker, you're the sustainer, and you're the controller of this whole world. And you've granted us the privilege of being your servants. That alone is breathtaking. Help us to have a realization of your awesome might, your majesty, so that we can go into this world and lift up your name among the heathen. For your name's the only name worthy of praise. Guide us through your word. It's in that name we pray. Amen. Now, to properly understand this chapter, we're not reading the whole chapter. I, I broke it off at verse, before verse 9. Verse 9, you can see God actually give him his commission, what the message he was supposed to carry for the next quite a few years was supposed to be. All I want to look at is the impact of God's holiness. And to understand this passage, we've got to realize that it's closely tied to chapter 5. I'm not going to teach you chapter 5 right now either. This afternoon is going to be kind of dreary. Go home and read chapter 5. We're not going to read it all right now. But chapter 5 of Isaiah describes how sad things were under the reign of King Uzziah. King Uzziah wasn't that great of a king. Uh, and he ended up dying of leprosy. He was struck with leprosy because he uh, decided that he would do the job of the priests and that he, he being king, could carry the... Uh, incense into the Holy of Holies, and God struck him with leprosy right there. Even in that, God was gracious, because the uh, condemnation was he should have been struck dead. But God gave him leprosy instead. But the people of the kingdom of Judah, uh, they were living through tough times. King Uzziah wasn't that great of a king. The people of Judah thought that they were pretty wise, they, they were pretty content. Everything was all right. It was Israel that got carried off into captivity. Judah was fine because God obviously blessed us. He punished Israel. We're being blessed. We're fine. We're fine just the way we are, they thought. And they walked away from God. And as a result, their land was facing plagues, famine, and facing invasion from foreign powers. Does any of that sound familiar? We in America claim to be wise. We've walked away from God. We're facing plagues. 
They're threatening us with empty food shelves this year. We're, we may very well be facing famine. Uh, and we're facing invasion from foreign powers. All very real. Isaiah chapter 6, 1, where we started off today, says that it was in this year, this year that King Uzziah died. I just promised you I wouldn't give you a history lesson. Can I give you a little tiny history lesson? All right. What year did King Uzziah die? Well, King Uzziah died in uh, 739 AD, uh, B.C. 739 B.C. Which, by the way, should have been a year of jubilee in Israel's calendar. In fact, that should have been the 14th year of jubilee since Israel came into the land. That's a different topic. That's the end of the history lesson, by the way. I just thought you might be interested in that. It kind of puts a different perspective on this. They were in terrible times, facing bad things, and they weren't really celebrating what should have been a year of jubilee if they'd have been doing things the right way. That's not the lesson we're going to cover today. That's just a side note. In this particular year, Isaiah is given a vision of the glory of God which stands in sharp contrast with the sadness of the condition of the land at that time. See, we know from reading the book of Ezekiel, about the same time as this, the Shekinah glory of God is just about to leave the temple in Jerusalem. That's quite a picture. You can read it yourself in the book of Ezekiel. I'm not going to get there today. That's not the topic today. But the Shekinah glory was about to leave the temple in Israel, and it has never returned to this day. You remember the glory of God. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. As an interesting historical note, it was just about this time when the city of Rome was founded. Right about this time, the little village was popping up on the side of the Tiber River that later became the Roman Empire. I think that's quite coincidental that the Shekinah glory left the Temple of Israel at about the same time. So the that's the spiritual destruction of Israel at that point, about 739 B.C. At the same time, the empire that was going to bring their physical destruction in 70 A.D., was born on the banks of the River Tiber. I don't believe that's coincidental, but that's totally unrelated to our topic here today. Again, sorry about all that. Uh, so what was this vision that Isaiah saw? It was the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, it says. Now when we turn to, let's turn to John chapter 12. John talked about this. John chapter 12 and verse 41. I think you'll find this is interesting. John chapter 12, verse 41. Uh, actually, let's back all the way up to verse 37. We'll read down to 41. Talking about Jesus. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blind their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, 
when he saw his glory and spake of him. So, putting that together, John's telling us that what Isaiah saw was actually Jesus in his glory before he came to earth. That's what Isaiah was seeing. He was looking at Jesus. And he was high and lifted up. This is an exalted throne that he's sitting on. And Isaiah says that his, his train filled the whole temple. Now, if you want to know about the train of God, I mean, that's obviously that's his robes and things. We talk about that when we're talking about royal gala presentations and things. It's the train of a robe. Well, God's robe, Jesus' robe, you can look to Psalm 104. It says that his, his robes are light. So taking that, we can see that his light filled the whole temple, right? His train filled the whole temple. His train is light. Light filled the whole temple, just like the Shekinah glory filled the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember, the tabernacle was a huge tent, had several rooms in it. The innermost room was the Holy of Holies. That's the one that we're looking at right here. Isaiah's brought to a vision of the Holy of Holies in heaven. Now, in the Holy of Holies on earth, there was no light inside. The only light that was in that room was the light of the Shekinah glory of God. Otherwise, it was pitch black behind the veil. We're seeing the same thing here. It's the light of his train that filled that whole room. But Jesus isn't alone in here. He's attended by seraphim. That's an interesting word. We probably don't... Uh, know too much. You know what that means in Hebrew? It means burning ones. These are the burning ones that are in there in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. That's a very specific kind of angel. And they're always pictured as the guardians of the holiness of God Himself. And they have some aspects that make them appear to be human, but they have other features that let you know that they're not human at all. Uh, they Obviously they have a voice because they're crying out to each other. They have faces, because it says that they covered them. So they, they had some aspects that seemed human, but I have never seen a human with six wings. So they have aspects that are not human as well. They have six set, several sets of wings. Two of them cover their faces. So as, even as glorious as these burning ones are, they don't dare look at the face of God directly. Their faces are covered by one set of wings. With another pair of wings, they covered their feet. They show how as glorious as these seraphim, these burning ones are, they humbly cover their feet in regards to their surface to God. And with two, they flew. With two, they did what God wanted them to do. And this is apparently what these angels did all the time. Now, we can look at these angels. Uh, let's go over to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And it says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, these are the same creatures we're talking about here. 
And they were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. They're continually giving praise to God and extolling His holiness. Now verse 3 says that they cried out to each other. I I don't know exactly what that was like, but it seems like they were maybe one on the one side hollering to the other and then bouncing back and forth. I know this has been made into a famous hymn that we all like to sing, right? Holy, 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 right? Uh, Derek's nodding right now. He knows what I'm talking about. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. But the language here is more of a warning, not so much as a hymn, as a warning. This is kind of a warning, just in case you didn't know whose presence you were coming into, you're stepping into the presence of one who is holy above all else. They said, holy, holy, holy is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, I'm not going to get into it because so many better commentators and so many better preachers than me have gone into it at length. Pick up any commentary you want to. You're going to find better than what I'm going to give you because I'm not going to give you much. But it talks about the threefold repetition of holy. That's a good reference to the Trinity of God. Go ahead and read anybody else on that. They're going to tell you the same thing and they're going to tell it better than I will. That's not my focus here today. Instead, what I'd like to point out is that the will of God, ultimately, is for the whole world to be filled with His glory. It says here, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah Sabaoth. The whole world is filled with His glory. And I know that that's God's will because I can look over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, particularly verse 21. God speaking, He says, And as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So what is God's glory? What is God's glory? Well, part of it is His character and His actions, which we see manifested all over the earth. If you keep reading that passage in uh, Numbers chapter 14, you'll see, those people who have seen my acts in Egypt, those people who have seen this and seen my deliverance, that's what he goes on. Part of it's God's character, His faithfulness and His actions for His people. That's part of His glory. That's not all of it, but that's part of it. This message of His glory was so powerful, and these seraphim are shouting so, so strongly, that it says the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. The whole place was shaking, and the house was filled with smoke, it says. Now we've got to put ourselves into a little bit of a historical background here. We already mentioned this is a vision of the Holy of Holies in heaven. The picture of that is the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. We already talked about that. 
says that the place was filled with smoke. You know where the smoke from the Holy of Holies came from? It came from the altar of incense. The altar of incense was right in the doorway to the Holy of Holies. You had to walk past the altar of incense, yet the priest was the high priest was the only one who could go in there. He put incense on the altar of incense and then walked in. So let's walk down a logical path with me here, just, just for a minute. We're just going to think. The smoke is from the altar of incense, so it's connected with the fire of that altar, which we're going to see when we get to verse 6. And that fire, we're going to see, is what cleansed Isaiah and purged him before God in verse 7. Remember, the coal was touched to his lip. And it prepared him to bear the testimony of the Lord in verse 8. The altar is the major focus here. The altar is the major focus. It was filling the place with smoke. It provided the coal for Isaiah's lips. It impacted his and purged him. And it allowed him to bear the testimony of God. So now back to our scene. This vision is so overwhelming that Isaiah is brought to a full realization of his own natural state before God. And in verse 5, he identifies himself with the rest of the nation of Judah and all of their evil ways. Did you notice that? Verse 5, he says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Did you know that this is exactly what you and I ought to feel when we're in the presence of God as well? Are we in the presence of God right now? He says wherever there's two or more gathered in his name, there he is in the midst, right? We just pointed out seven or eight minutes ago, that uh, the same sins and the same depravity of Judah is going on in 21st century America, right? We're wise in our own eyes. We're facing all kinds of problems as a result of that. We've rejected God. The more we realize the depth of the atoning work of Christ on the cross, the more we're going to realize our own unworthiness. When you realize how far this one sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, who is holy, 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 and his, the whole earth is filled with his glory, reached down to save you and I. Only work, illustration that I can come up with, and it's, it's totally unworthy. Paulette has cats in the house. When a cat pukes on the floor... I don't want to demean myself from my exalted position as chief human being in the house to clean the cat puke on the floor. And I don't do it very often because I don't like to. They're not my cats. But I do it once in a while. But when this one, this holy one, 
came down from his highly exalted throne to save you and I, it was even further than when I stooped down to pick up the cat pew. When we realize how far he came to save you and I, we ought to realize our own unworthiness. Isn't that right? See, I really don't think very many Christians even get to that point in their lives. And until we get there, it's hard to do great things for God, isn't it? Remember how we started off talking about some of these great men of the faith that accomplished things that you and I look at and it reads like a fiction story? When we get that right perspective about our own sin, then we're going to realize that we aren't all that different than the sinful world around us, right? We aren't that much different. In fact, we're a lot closer to them than we are to that one who is holy, 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 right? There's a pretty big disparity. Their sins that we just talked about, willful leaving of God, are the same sins that you and I have. And once we realize that, then it's pretty easy to share a testimony of what God's done in our life, isn't it? See, one of our things that we like to do we like to sit back and we like to point out the sinfulness of today's society. Look at the things that they're doing. Why, just this past week I heard that there's a history teacher in the Midwest who's decided she's not going to teach history anymore. She's going to teach her-story. What awful thing. That's true. I actually read that in a news article. Uh, and it's easy for us to sit back and point these things out. But until we realize that we are actually closer to them than we are to the holiness of God, we are not going to have an effective testimony, are we? We need to realize that we're closer to them than we are to God. We can't be sitting back pointing fingers. And it's the fire from the altar that made Isaiah turn the corner. The vision of God's glory, we, could, we might say, well, it's this vision of God's glory that made, inspired Isaiah. Yeah, he saw how glorious God was, and he said, boy, I just can't wait to share the news of this. No, that's not exactly what it was. The vision of God's glory made him realize his own sinfulness, and he said, I'm undone. He realized that the sins that King Uzziah had brought on the nation were the same sins that he shared. I live amongst a people of unclean lips, he says. The word undone in Hebrew, that literally means I'm cut off. I'm cut off, just like King Uzziah was cut off. He was a leper, right? One of the things of lepers is they were cut off from society. Can you imagine that? Being the king, you can't even associate with anybody? Something to think about, isn't it? He was a leper king. And just like Uzziah was cut off, Isaiah says he's cut off. Now, Uzziah had leprosy. 
What's one of the things that lepers had to do? They had to cry unclean. There's one other thing. Let's look to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. Verse 45. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. He has to cover his unclean lips. He has to cover his unclean lips. He has to cry unclean. Isaiah says, I am just like that. I am a man of unclean lips. It's like I have leprosy before you, God. Just like Uzziah, I'm no better off. Just like Uzziah led the world into damnation, Isaiah sees he's doing the same thing. Seeing God in all of his glory reduced Isaiah to the same state as the rest of the sinful nation. But notice that God doesn't let him keep groveling in that condition. See, God's mercy was immediate. While Isaiah is still sitting there, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, God says, get up off your feet. And he brings an angel over here, and it, one of those seraphim, one of those angels, becomes a ministering agent, and he brings a live coal in his hand, it says. Brings a live coal in his hand. Now, here's something interesting that maybe you didn't notice. It says he took it from the fire with tongs, but he brought it in his hands. Isn't that interesting? If he could hold it in his hands, then why did he bother picking up tongs to take it off the altar? Does anybody besides me think about things like this? These things bother me. Now, to answer that question, you need to remember what the altar of incense represents. Anybody remember what the altar of incense represents? Prayers, that's right, we got the right answer. It represents the prayers of God's people. Now, did you know, we'll think just for a minute here, prayer is something that no angel, no matter how powerful, can participate in. You aware of that? No angel can pray. Only you and I can pray. Do you realize what an honor that is? What an honor that is. An angel can touch the coal, but he can't touch the altar. So he had to take tongs to get that coal off the altar. And then he takes the coal and he touches Isaiah's mouth. The part that Isaiah had just said was so unclean. My lips are unclean. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Not one of us has clean lips. And as soon as he does that, God says, your sin's removed. I've taken your iniquity away. You don't have that problem anymore, Isaiah. So why did God give this vision to Isaiah? So we'll call this Isaiah's commission. So he gave this vision to Isaiah to prepare him for the testimony that God was going to send him on to deliver. Right? 
But this wasn't the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. This is six chapters in, by the way. He's been ministering up to this point. But this was a turning point in his ministry, you see. Did you know that sometimes you and I need a refresher in the holiness of God? That's what I hope I'm giving you here this morning. You're already aware of everything I'm saying. I'm not teaching you anything you don't already know. But sometimes we need a refresher to bring these things back into perspective, don't we? If we start to forget the significance of God's awesome holiness, our ministry becomes ineffective, doesn't it? As the book of Hebrews says, we need to keep coming to the mercy seat and obtaining mercy. We need to keep going back there. And we can. I'm not talking about salvation over and over here. I'm talking about honestly coming to the throne of God and praying to a holy God like you realize that He is holy, not like some petty demigod casually praying to Him like we sometimes tend to do. I'm talking praying like you're praying to the holy Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. And now that all this is done, Isaiah is prepared by God for a message. God calls out. This is the first time we hear God talking here, really. He says, whom shall I send? And who's going to go for us? Now again, many, many preachers, better than me, you can select any sermon you want, any commentary on this that you want. They point out the plural here and they make another case for the Trinity. And that's good. That's not really where I want to go today. I want to know why God asked this question. Why does God ask this question? Who, who am I going to send? Well, who else is in the room? There's a seraphim and there's Isaiah. God wasn't looking for an answer. So the question was for Isaiah's benefit, wasn't it? The question was being asked for Isaiah's benefit. God had already prepared him. God just needed Isaiah to realize it. Isaiah needed to realize, hey, here I am. Send me. I'm already ready. You've taken care of that. And notice Isaiah's response was immediate, too. Here I am. Send me. There's no question. There's no debate. The, he doesn't even consider that the burden may be too cumbersome. It may be more than Isaiah could handle. It was the least Isaiah could do for such a glorious God, don't you see? He'd been dumbstruck by the glory of God, said, I am undone. I am cut off. I'm not worthy. God touched him with the coal. Said, your iniquity is taken away. Isaiah said, well, here I am. Send me. And that's the attitude you ought to have, by the way. This is the closing thought I got here this morning. And I believe that you and I will have that attitude 
if we come to realize the awesome holiness of Almighty God. You'll be glad to share some of that glory with the whole world. Remember, that's what He desires. His glory will fill the whole world, as we saw in Numbers chapter 14. Well, you can say to me, yeah, that was easy for Isaiah. He was a prophet with a successful ministry, right? I mean, he's, he wrote a third of the Old Testament. I mean, if that's not successful, what is? Easy for Isaiah, right? I want to call it to your attention that there's not one single case of anyone repenting due to Isaiah's ministry. Do you realize that? Isaiah continued bearing the testimony of Almighty God, even though no one responded in his entire career. We got no excuse, do we? By human standards, Isaiah's ministry was a total failure. But he faithfully served anyway. That is the impact of the holiness of God. You recall, that's what I called the title on this. The impact of the holiness of God. So now, that calls for some self-examination, doesn't it? And interestingly, this is the Sunday that we traditionally celebrate communion on. Uh, Brother Jake, could I call you up here to give me a hand with that?